Good afternoon, boxing fans around the world. Back again on Combat Talk Radio, found at combattalkradio.net with a our weekend of boxing updates here. Feel free to check us out. Once again, the site is combattalkradio.net. Leave us some comments, questions, suggestions, feedback on how we're doing, and we will get right into our weekend of boxing. Let's do something a little bit different today here on Combat Talk Radio. We're going to do our usual schedule stuff, obviously right up at the front, but I am going to do a little bit of reflect on a couple of fights that are on deck because I want to provide some thoughts. There's some crazy talk out there, and I want to share my opinion, and it's just my opinion, but I think people are, I don't know, what's happening anyway. So up deck, uh, Regis progress, finally getting back in the ring. Big fan of Regis progress. Am I, he's finding Danielito Zoria. Woo. 12 rounds of super lightweight action on the zone. Uh, it's out in new Orleans here in the U S I'm, I love this fight. I love it a lot. Um, Zoria is not fresh off a loss. Uh, he got a decision loss in his last fight, but trust me, Zoria is not a soft touch. He's, he's going to come and he's going to bring it. He's going to work to make this happen. And we're going to find out, Really, if progress is that dude, I mean, I think everybody believes he's that dude, just a knockout artist and a beast in a ring, but he does have some flaws. He's a southpaw, so that that aids him in his fights is for the WBC Super Lightweight Championship. Zaria is much younger. Zaria has a better reach. He has a reach advantage. Zaria is a knockout artist in his own right. Zaria doesn't have nearly the experience. So I'm, I'm saying Zaria is going to come to fight. Zaria, listen, Puerto Rican fighters in general, man, you can't. Ignore him. You can't overlook him. You can't dismiss him. He's going to come. He's going to bring it. However long it lasts. If my gut leans me, I'm going to lean towards progress. But it depends on where progress is right now. Progress is getting up there. You know, he's not shot, but he's getting up there. He's 34 years old. So we have to see where he is and get a kind of good pulse. He's been on a strong win streak. Stopped his last four opponents uh, after the very close loss against Josh Taylor that was somewhat disputed. So he's been on a strong streak. I don't see any weakness, but he's been out of the ring for a while. And so we need to see what happens on this one. I think it's a really good fight for however long it lasts because I don't think it's going to go the distance, in my opinion. On the undercard of that same event, this is uh, 12 rounds of welterweight action. Uh, Shakram Yasuf versus Harold Calderon. Of course, I, I'm aware of Calderon. Been having my eye on him for a long time. Both of these guys are undefeated. Calderon's the southpaw that will play in the factor. Uh, Calderon's older, slightly older. He's been in the game a lot longer, but he doesn't have as many rounds of experience as you might expect. He's been getting guys out of there, so he doesn't have as many rounds of experience as you might expect. I don't know how to call this one specifically because Jasov is actually pretty good. Uh, he's a really good fighter. I don't know exactly where he comes from, but he's a really, really good fighter, and I, I've watched a couple of his fights, and I like what I see. And so I think, in my opinion, I think if I'm looking on the, if I look at the records, right, the records of both guys, if I look at Joseph, for example, Joseph has a win over Emmanuel Taylor. I'm going to give that one. That was in 2019. So that was a really good win. He didn't have any trouble, but of course, Taylor was a little bit older. Um, he stopped two of his last five. That's a good deal. And he's the younger guy. So I'm going to lean towards Calderon. For one reason, and that's the southpaw stance. I think, in my opinion, that Jasov hasn't had significant amounts of experience fighting southpaws. So if he hasn't, then I think Calderon's going to be able to leverage that to his advantage and get the W. My guess is this fight goes the distance, which no harm in that. They're both, again, undefeated. So it's one to see if you're interested in these types of fights between two undefeated fighters at the top of their game. Most online think that Jasov's going to easily deal with Calderon 
I'm saying I think Calderon's got a shot on this one. That's my call. Hold me to it just based on the numbers. And it's hard to call just because both guys are really highly skilled. The other fight I'm extremely excited to watch, if I can. It's in the Gold Coast Convention Center out in Broad Beach, Australia. 12 rounds of super welterweight action. You have to watch this on the Paramount Plus app on Showtime, which really pisses me off. And trust me, I will not be doing that. But Tim Zhu finally makes his return against Carlos Kema Ocampo. I am one of the biggest fans of Carlos Ocampo have been ever since he lost to Spence, because even in lost to Spence, he showed me this dude's going to be something. He's a dangerous fighter and it depends on who he's up against. But when Spence dispatched him off body work, because that's Ocampo's strength is body work. Ocampo has only the two losses. He stopped was stopped by Earl Spence off the body. He went the distance with Sebastian Fundora against Fundora. He gave Fundora all he could have and handle before somebody else was able to beat Fundora. Ocampo did not do the same body attack I wanted to see, you know, like he did against Spence. He wasn't doing the same thing, and it was hard for him to get inside on Fundora's range. But he's still that dude. He's a dangerous fighter. Tim Zhu is a dangerous fighter in his own right, but if you talk about just animal, like animal in the ring, Ocampo's on another level. So you can look at Ocampo's record and be like, yeah, but he got two losses, and they're dominant losses. Yeah, but look at who he lost to and how. With Spence, to me, that's an aberration because that was very early in Ocampo's career. He was still that dude, but he landed on Spence. It's not like he hurt Spence, but he was showing. He showed up. He didn't. He wasn't there to just fall, and he got dropped off a beautiful body shot. Spence just went after him, just completely. That this, that fight is one of the reasons I don't. I'm going to talk about later. I don't buy the narrative that Crawford blows Spence out the water because you got to look at adaptation. We'll talk about that in a second. Meanwhile, Tim Zhu, he's been on a dominant win streak in his fight, so Tim Zhu is certainly no slouch, and I'm not overlooking him. When I saw him dispatch Jeff Horn with ease, it told me there's something here. When he went up against Terrell Gausha, though, Gausha's an amazing fighter. Gausha was the first to drop Tim Zhu, but he dominated Gausha otherwise. So it's not like Zhu's a bum. He's not. It's just he had lapses in judgment. I think when he fights outside of the U.S., he's a little bit more successful than when he fights domestic like here so this one's gonna happen in australia so i am going to lean towards tim zoo but that's going to really depend on what version of ocampo shows up this is at 154 ocampo seemed to have been a little bit more explosive in 147 but he couldn't make the weight anymore and tim zoo seems to be in his stride at 154 both these guys are young guys they're in their prime they're roughly equivalent in terms of height and reach there's no advantage both are orthodox fighters both are knockouts they're going to go for the knockout Ocampo has the lean on experience. To me, that's the one thing that swifts here is that Ocampo has the lean on experience. And I'm not just talking years in the game. I'm talking rounds in the books because Ocampo, he fights a lot. He's fought like he has already, I want to say 37 fights. Maybe he has a lot of fights. And then Tim Zhu only has like the 22. So Ocampo, it's like he stays busy. I want to say it's like every three months, he has a pace, he just stays busy because it seems like he just accepts whatever fights are up. And he's not one of those A-side, B-side. He's whatever gets me in the ring, gets some experience. And as a result, he gets some of the top guys in there as he has. And so that rounds in the books experience, you can't ignore that, man. You can't ignore this guy over here. He's got experience that he's been able to leverage to improve his game because I feel like he's gotten better since the Spence uh, loss. So for me, I'm excited to see this fight. I think it's an amazing fight for however long it lasts because I do not think it goes the distance. That's my opinion. 
and I'm going to say this about Tim Zoo. We don't, like, we believe he's that dude, but if we're going to be talking about Jermell Charlo, he's got to show up here. He's got to show he's that guy. He can't just struggle and get by with a decision or something. He's got to show up. He's got to dispatch Ocampo with ease in order to convince people that he's got any shot against young Charlo, Jamel Charlo, because Jamel Charlo is that dude. He's unified in the division right now. He is the undisputed champion. So in order to show that, yes, this guy, Zoo, can be something, he's got to show up here. So this fight is for the WBO Interim World 154 title, which positions the winner for a title shot against the WBO champion at 154, which is Jamel Charlo. Now, let's assume, let's assume that Ocampo pulls off the upset because it would truly be an upset if he did. As big a fan as I am, it's an upset in terms of records. If he pulls it off, man, Jermel Charlo and Carlos Ocampo is an amazing fight. Jermel Charlo and Tim Zhu is an amazing fight. Like, you can't lose. <laughs> no matter who wins this one, you can't lose as a fan. Both are exciting fights because of how, who Jermel Charlo is. He, he needs a good dance partner, and both of these guys would be a very good dance partner for him. And arguably, if I had to pick them, I would think that Jermel dispatches Tim Zhu and struggles with Carlos Ocampo just because of styles. But I don't, I don't care who wins this one. Although I'm a big fan, certainly, of Carlos Ocampo, I recognize how skilled and talented Tim Zhu is, and I'm not overlooking him at all. So this is a pick him. But if I had to go with my gut, I'm going to lean towards Tim Zhu simply because of, you know, Ocampo has the experience edge. I'm going to lean towards Tim Zhu because it's outside the U.S., and it seems like he always gets that. He always steps up when he's outside the U.S. I don't know why it's any different, but this is going to be a real good fight to identify who's that guy. And if Ocampo pulls off the upset, it totally shakes up the division. It totally shakes up 154. And we're right back where we started because when Jeff Horn went up to 154 and all of a sudden he's working off Michael Zarafa, we had a little bit of a shakeup, 154. Jamel's over there unifying the division so then we get rid of some of the contenders. And then all of a sudden we get some new contenders in the mix. Tim Zhu comes out of nowhere and starts making waves, hard waves. And now we have a, we have a kind of a feud going. Uh, three-way feud. So exciting action. If you get to watch it, I'm really pissed off. They put it on the Paramount Plus app because that's just going to cause people to pirate the damn fight. So it is what it is. Let's wrap up with my analysis here. I'm going to talk about Spence versus Crawford. And the reason I'm going to do this is because of some posts that are going around about, you know, most people and the, the bookies feel like Spence is the underdog. They feel like Crawford has the, the edge and the lean. If we go off raw experience, this is true. Remember, oh, uh, Spence is an Olympian. And it is all right. And Spence, people are looking at the knockouts at 147. But what I've said is Crawford has an asterisk against every single 147 opponent. Every single one has an asterisk next to the knockout. And I want to go down that list because I think it's important to understand what I'm talking about. The first fight he took was Jose Benavides. Jose Benavides had a bum knee. He got shot in the kneecap. So he was working off a ball. He was basically working off one leg for that whole fight. But Jose Benavides' jab was there all night long. And finally, Crawford was able to time him and catch him with a shot. And then from there, Jose never recovered. But the, but the point, the call out, is that the jab, we saw that the jab exposed a weakness with Crawford that we would notice later. Okay, so then Jeff Horn, title match for WBO. Jeff Horn, initially the fight's announced, then it gets delayed allegedly because Crawford injured his hand. The day after this announcement, he's photographed 
using his phone to take selfies with the top-ranked girls. Horn's team comes out and says, we want to see the doctor's note about your broken hand because we don't believe your hand's broken. They refuse to provide this evidence. Top rank refused to provide the evidence. So the fight gets delayed right in the middle of Horn's camp trying to make travel plans. Horn's traveling from Australia. If you don't know this type of travel across time zones, it jacks with you because of jet lag and everything else. Plus, you got to get settled in the new place. You got to find food that's safe so you don't get sick. You have to hydrate really well. There's all these things that you have to deal with. And usually you have, you want to get there a little bit early so you can get prepared, get acclimated, get, you know, get accustomed, learn the way around, etc. So they show up kind of at the last minute. There's all these stories about Horn's socks and shoes and all this stuff that's not working right. Then the fight happens. It's essentially a blowout and on the cards. But then the very final sequence, Horn's still throwing back. Crawford lands a shot. Horn's still throwing back. The ref stops it. People are like, why did the ref stop it? Horn was still throwing back. So there's an asterisk there. Amir Khan. Amir Khan, during that fight, now leading up, everybody said he's a glass jaw. Crawford's going to spark the chin and knock him out. This is a waste of a fight. Why are we having this fight? And all this other stuff. Amir Khan was jabbing the hell out of Terrence Crawford. Goes back to the jab again. Crawford lands a shot, drops Khan. Khan gets right back up. He's perfectly fine. Crawford's never able to drop him again. Khan goes right back to landing the jab because he, he saw that, okay, the jab is your vulnerable point. A sequence happens where Khan's trying to come in and clinch. Crawford throws a blatant low blow. I have slow-mo of it. It's a blatant low blow. Ref stopped the fight. They said that the corner, Khan's corner, stops the fight. Nobody really knows. The point is the fight stopped off of a blatant low blow. Crawford could not spark the chin. Reminder, Danny Swift Garcia hit a no-look hook on that same, actually the prime version of Amir Khan, and was able to get him out of there and eventually stop him, a prime Amir Khan at 140. So the version of Khan that Crawford fought was fresh off getting damn near killed by Canelo Alvarez. So he was already damaged, and even then, Crawford couldn't spark the chin. Okay? Then we get to Cavalaskis. Cavalaskis early on, it's kind of a chess match back and forth. Cavalaskis is, he's landing counters very well. Jabs very well. Then there's a sequence, as I refer to it, you've heard me, two-piece. He landed a two-piece on Crawford, and you heard Bradley say, ooh, and then Joe Testor, good exchange, right? <laughs> a little bit of time passes, and then Cav lands a shot that Crawford doesn't see and can't deal with, and he's like completely on Bambi. Cav tries to go after him. Crawford goes down. He literally hits a knee, so he went down off a punch. The ref calls it a slip, which was crap. Every, even Bradley and Ward said, no, that should have been a knockdown. That was crap, okay? Because Crawford gets up. He's frustrated. He's pissed. He starts holding and hitting, fighting dirty. Ref allows it to go. Eventually, he's able to catch Cav off the chin, shots he didn't see, and forces a stoppage because of accumulation. The story of this, the asterisk of that one, is because of the fact that he was dropped. He was dropped in the fight, and it was not counted in this and it exposed that, okay, he, he's too easily hittable. We saw this, now we're seeing a pattern. He's too easily hittable. His fans focus on, yeah, but he eventually gets him out of there. In comes Kel Brook. Kel Brook is a shell of himself because he had one eye socket shattered by Golovkin in a fight he should never have taken, and the other eye socket shattered by Errol Spence in a fight where he was dominant up until Spence turned it up. But he never should have taken the Golovkin fight. We knew this. So the Brook that showed up was completely unmotivated, you didn't hear chocolate brownies or anything else coming out of him. He didn't say energy. He had in fast fights. He looked like he just showed up for a check. He gets in there. He's jabbing Crawford straight to the face, actually starts closing Crawford's eye. You visibly could see this. 
Crawford lands a shot. It was just a regular, it wasn't even a heavy shot. He just lands a shot and Brooke acts like Gumby. He just completely overreacts, backs up, falls against the and all this. Ref gives him a standing eight. Kells back in and he's not hurt. It just seemed like he was shocked by the shot or he overreacted to the feeling of the shot. Like it wasn't like he was hurt. He just felt something and he overreacted. Crawford jumps on him. Those are flurry of shots. I would argue probably 10% of them lands. Ref jumps in, stops the fight. You hear Crawford say, you all right? To Kell Brook. So, okay, what the hell? So Crawford sees that Brook, for whatever reason, just shut down. He completely shut down. <laughs> There's footage afterwards. Crawford and Brooke in the back laughing and joking. During the fight, right at that ending sequence, right afterwards before the post-interview, you hear, and I forget which one it was. It might have been Joe Tessitore. I can't remember, but they say, quote, now take your $2 million check and go home. So already, we know how much he got paid to show up and essentially throw the fight because that's what it looks like happened. Okay? Fascinating. And again, Brooke, for four, he won all rounds on the cards because his jab was effective right in the face and Crawford couldn't land anything until that point. And he closed Crawford's eye before Crawford turned it up. Now we get to Sean Porter. The Sean Porter fight is frustrating because in the Spence fight, Porter went after Errol Spence. He fought aggressive. He was completely aggressive, motivated to get Spence out of there like we'd never seen before. He couldn't drop Spence. Spence was never hurt. And arguably, Porter took a lot of damage going to war with Errol Spence. He took a lot of damage. So then in the fight, Leading up to, there's the training and the food and everything else, and Porter is coming across, he's not coming across with the same hunger that we saw from him in previous. He gets in against Crawford, and I argue, I gave Porter like five of the first six rounds. Porter would land a shot, get out, Crawford would try to counter hook or check hook, couldn't land. I gave him five of the first six, so already he's five up. Crawford goes back to the corner, and Bomack keeps saying, calm down, calm down, stay calm you know, compose, calm down. Don't. So then Crawford adjusts. You visually see him adjust. Porter never adjusted. Crawford adjusts. Eventually lands a shot, drops Porter. It's a shot right to the upper. Drops Porter. Porter gets this look on his face like, same like he did with Broner in the 12th round. Like, how did I get dropped off this? Ref gives him the count. Porter's perfectly fine. He's looking at the corner, but he's perfectly fine. But he goes after Crawford now, now he's actually going after him, but he's, his mind's all jacked up because he's more frustrated, not focused, not calm. There's a sequence. Crawford drops him again. Then you see Porter pounding the canvas like a child. <laughs> Ref counts it again. All of a sudden, the fight stopped because Kenny Porter's climbing up there. Alternate camera footage, which should have been on the main broadcast, alternate camera footage plays audio from the cor Crawford's corner. Bowman, oh, they stopped it. They stopped it. Alternate footage from Porter's corner, you see the second trainer, second in command trainer. You see Kenny's climbing up with the towel. The second's trying to stop him. So that it wasn't a unanimous choice to stop the fight. Kenny just did it on his own to go up in there, stops the fight. The fight after this, right? So then the Kenny Porter goes over to Crawford's corner, talking to Bomack, and you hear him say, quote, see the smile on my face? And he's smiling. So he just stopped his son in one of the most important fights of his career. And he's smiling about it, and he's joking about it with the opposing corner. So I'll get to that in a second. Fights announced after the fact. Sean, on his podcast, is talking about, you know, I was thinking too hard. Bottom line, I was thinking too hard. If I were my dad, I would not have stopped the fight. Spence on social media, he's like, if I poured, I wouldn't pay my daddy. You know, because nobody accepted, why did you stop the fight? Because Sean was never hurt. He was just frustrated. 
because he was doing stupid mistakes. Normally, you get your guy back to the corner, compose them, get him back, get him focused. When Floyd fought Shane Mosley and in the second round, Mosley lands a bomb and Floyd has to hold on for dear life. And then at the end of the round, Mosley lands another one that rocks Floyd. He has to get back. He gets himself composed, gets back to the corner. And Uncle Roger's trying to calm him down and saying, calm the hell down. You, you're, don't worry about it. You're calm down. Floyd never lost a round after that. He recomposed, got it back, and dominated the rest. For this one, it's like, for whatever reason, the strategy was not to get your son back to the corner in the most important fight of his career and calm him the hell down. Instead, you're tossing your fight because your kid's at your son's acting like a kid, and you're going over to the opposing corner and talking about, see my smile, and, you know, in that round. People online speculated that Kenny Porter put a bet that his son would lose by a certain round, and so he stopped it in order to take the money off the bet. I can't say that he did. I'm saying that that whole sequence was shady, and he created an asterisk that's not fair to Crawford because Crawford was cheated out of a fair win if you let the fight go the duration. Let's see what happens here, bro. We're, we're at round, I think it was round 10. Let's get all the way to 12. We're talking six more minutes, seven more minutes. Get your son back, calm him down, and get back to work. He might have been able to pull it out, man. And so that cheated Crawford out of a clean win. So then the fiasco of trying to get a fight book with Errol Spence, Crawford walks away from negotiations because he doesn't want to do B-side. He goes to BLK Prime to rob them real quick, signs with a fight with David Avenesian because they were negotiating in bad faith the whole time. During the Avenesian fight, Crawford's gloves start splitting at the seams. So essentially, he's turning into tape fists, gets a knockout, which he had not done at 147. I'm talking a knockout, not a stoppage gets a knockout of David Avenesian. The fight was not stopped due to sketchy gloves. Fighters come out and they're saying, no, that means the gloves were used. Gloves don't split like that. Not like that unless they were used. So who did the inspection of the gloves? The glove manufacturer comes out and said, no, that was defective leather and all this in defense of Crawford. But again, it's an asterisk. So Jose Benavides had a bum knee. Amir Khan, it's a low blow victory. Cavalascus, the knockdown was not counted. Kell Brook was jabbing and closing his eye and then arguably looked like he threw the fight, as far as we can tell. <laughs> we don't know. It looks like it, it looks like he did. You know, Jeff Horn was a sketchy stoppage. Sean Porter, his dad, stopped him and didn't let the fight go to duration because Crawford was getting close to losing on the cards. And then David Avenesian has sketchy gloves. Every fight has an asterisk next to it. Now, if I look at Errol Spence, Errol Spence dominated Chris Algieri. There was no question. People put an asterisk on Mikey Garcia because Mikey wasn't a 147-pounder. It was Mikey who screamed that fight saying, I see something, quote, right? Mikey screamed for that fight. Mikey's fans made it seem like Mikey had a shot because of boxing skill. They couldn't count on Mikey not showing up motivated enough and then fist pumping after every round he lost. That's not, an, that's not, there's nothing Spence could have done. It was a clean victory. That's the point. His victory over Ocampo was a clean victory. His victory over Algeri was a clean victory. His victory over Porter, people had questions because Porter was up on the cards slightly. The point is, Spence got a knockdown. Spence went to war, and there was no sketchy business in that fight. That was a clean victory. His victory on Danny Garcia was a clean victory, especially when you consider Spence was fresh off of a major car wreck that would have incapacitated some other folks. Spence has nothing but clean victories in 147. And then you talk about Ugas. The only time Spence was even took his eye off the prize, he was getting outboxed at points, but he takes his eye off the prize because of a mouthpiece issue. After this, he turns it up, starts bombing away at Jordanis Ugas in a way I'd never seen. Remember, Ugas is the guy that retired Manny Pacquiao after a dominant victory over him and arguably beat Sean Porter. 
So no, Spence had a dominant win against everybody he's beaten, with the exception of Sean Porter. So I look at Spence's wins at 147. He doesn't have any asterisks. There's no question of the victory. You can only argue Sean Porter, and that's only because that's only if you ignore the drop, the knockdown, and you overcredit ineffective aggression. Those are the only ways you can give Sean Porter that win. Period. Everything else, there's no asterisk against Errol Spence. On Crawford, he has an asterisk against 147 fighters. We don't know. We don't truly know. People are only going off the styles and the switch hitting and all this, this and that. Nobody's looking at the intangibles. Nobody's looking at how Spence turns it up when he goes after you. That's the key. When he goes after you. So you could ignore what he did to your Dennis Ugas all you care to, but that's what I look at. When he goes after you, like he went after Ocampo, like he went after Algieri, like he went after Yardanius Ugas, when he goes after you, it's, it's scary watching the man fight because he is brutal. The fights he didn't go after you, Danny Swift, right, Mikey, even there, it's a dominant decision, which means he can choose to go after you or not, and he knows when he does need to and when he doesn't need to. Now, you got a really good mix in terms of the two that to me does not favor Crawford. It favors Spence. It favors Spence because in Spence's cases, we can't question his wins or the outcomes. In all of Crawford's, there's an asterisk on them. If you only focus on what you like, you're leaning towards Crawford. If you focus on what I just gave you, stats to stats, you can watch the fucking fights yourself. If you focus on the numbers, you got to lean Spence because Spence has that advantage in that regard. Also, experience at a weight, and I'm not talking a weight class, I'm talking at a weight, plays a good factor. Spence has always been the naturally bigger guy for the vast majority of his career. Crawford has been the smaller guy for the vast majority of his career. Rounds in the books matter over time. But you also have to look at the totality of who you fought and who you beat. If we look at total history then, all the way around, Crawford says that the best opponent that both guys faced is Sean Porter. I disagree. Because you have to look at the version of those fighters when they fought them. And then the game changes. See, he's ignoring that. The version of Porter that Crawford fought was a shell of himself because of the beating he took from Errol Spence, the war against Keith once upon a time Thurman, the war against Danny Garcia, getting dropped off Adrian Broner, the war with Adrian Ganados. Porter was already battle. He was already down. He was not 100%. He was not peak. And Porter did not fight Crawford the way he fought Spence. Arguably, Crawford fought a lesser version of Sean Porter. Spence fought a, de a declined version of Sean Porter, which is why I can't even give that as his best win either. I, I truly cannot. I'd love to. It's No, that's, that's not reasonable. To me, in my opinion, to this day, Ocampo is arguably the best in terms of the fight overall, the how I looked at Spence dealing with adversity, how he recovered from it, how the outcome went, what he was able to do to adapt. I'm looking at Ocampo. I'm also looking at Ugas because Ugas tested Spence like I'd never seen him tested because that's the kind of guy he is. And when Spence got him out of there, it, he, he, he went scary. He turned it up. So I'm going to put that up there, not Porter. Porter was already 
damaged goods. He had already been through wars and Ugas had not been through wars. Sometimes he got robbed, but he had not been through wars because that wasn't his style. He didn't get to true war. He wasn't through wars until he hit Spence. And then all of a sudden, this guy just couldn't, he fought his ass off, but he couldn't hang with Errol Spence in that, that scenario. And there was no asterisk to the way Spence dispatched him. The only fighter I can think of on Crawford's resume, see, for me, I looked at like Victor Postal. I don't credit that as one of Crawford's best wins. People rated Postal, and that's why they did that. I didn't, to me, that's whatever. If I had to look at the best overall fighter on Crawford's resume, I'm talking totality of the fighter, totality of the resume, the performance, everything start to finish balls to bones. To me, I'm going to look at Ricky Burns. And I know there's people who are like, what? You got to understand, when I saw Crawford fight Ricky Burns, Crawford fought Ricky Burns out in Scotland. That was one of the only times Crawford's ever gone overseas to fight a guy. Every other fight has been domestic. And I saw in the fight, you had a referee that wouldn't let Crawford get dirty. He kept Crawford in check, which forced Crawford to show me something in terms of skill. And he did. He showed up. And Ricky Burns was right there. It wasn't like Ricky Burns was a slouch. Ricky Burns was right there all night long. It goes to a decision, clear decision for Crawford, but close. It wasn't like Crawford was able to blow this guy out of there. Now you got to ask the question, how was it that Ricky Burns was able to test Crawford the way that he did? Well, it's because Crawford was not allowed to fight dirty in that fight. It's because Crawford was not allowed to do his usual tactics that the United States allowed him to do, which let me test him as a fighter, as a boxer fighter. And he showed me something. He showed this guy is that dude, but he's never shown that to anybody. He's never shown that against anybody else from what I see. Everything else has been some sort of controversy or whatever, whether it's running away from Paul Stahl, the joke of a fight against Hank Lundy, you know, Diaz, uh, come on, whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, Molina, no, that doesn't work for me. And Dongo is a joke. And then all the welterweights have the stars. So, you know, I'm not dismissing skill here. I'm not dismissing skill for Crawford. I'm saying that when I compare them, I disagree that Porter is the best for both guys. You can say highly regarded opponent. I still can't really do it because Ndongo at the time was more highly regarded than Porter ever had been. He shouldn't have been, but he was. If I recall, Ndongo was a unified champion because he had WBA and IBF and I think he had IBO, even though it wasn't counted, but he had he had three of the belts in Dongo. He should not have, <laughs> let's be honest, but he did. And so when Crawford fights this dude, Indongo tried, but he was not even in the class. And the only reason that Indongo had those titles is because Indongo was fresh off beating that same Ricky Burns in 2017. So Indongo just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And then you think about other guys on Ndongo's resume other than Ricky Burns, and it's a joke. So then Ndongo was much more, he was much more rated in terms of the belts he held and his status than Sean Porter ever would or could have thought of being. But at the same time, the version of Sean Porter that Crawford fought was already damaged goods. So to me, I'm going to put Ricky Burns. It's the only one I can point to that I can say this is a quality win with no controversies, no asterisks, no sketchy nothing. 
It's straight up down. I would love to have counted Gamboa, except that Gamboa two-pieced him, you know, had him wobbled, had him on Bambi, had him running backwards, and Gamboa just lacked fundamentals to do anything about it. So to me, Ricky Burns to this day is arguably, for me, the best win of Crawford's whole resume, and it was a good win because he had to do it straight up. He had to do it with no controversy. He couldn't fight dirty. He had to show me the skill that I expected he had. With Errol Spence, I'm not going to put Porter on that list at all because, again, Porter, no. Not, <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, whatever that is. This is going to be a good fight. It's going to be a really good fight. for, And I think it goes the distance. I don't think it's going to be a knockout, but it's going to be a really good fight. And I know people are leaning towards Crawford, and it's okay. If you feel that way, I just, I simply disagree. In my opinion, I don't think it's that simple. I think that there are intangibles with Spence because he's not flashy that people are ignoring. And if you want to get a sense of what I'm talking about, I recommend that you go back and watch his fight against Spence, watch his fight against Ocampo. And I want you to watch Ocampo, the landing he was doing early, and then what Spence does in response, how he turns it up. Watch it. Just watch it. Then take a look at Spence versus Ugas. And I want you to watch what Ugas is doing early on. And I want you to watch what Spence does after the mouthpiece incident and watch how Spence just completely turns it up and destroys this dude. Just completely destroys him. I want you to watch his fight against Algeri. I know people don't rate Algeri. The reason I want you to watch that one, this was the best version of Algeri possible. The best version of him. And I want you to watch what Spence does when Algeri starts to go toe-to-toe. And Algeri, it's not that he wasn't landing. He was landing on Spence. And I want you to watch the adjustments that Algeri made, or Spence made, rather, to get Algeri out of there. And then consider Manny Pacquiao couldn't come close. Despite dropping him six times, he could not come close to stopping this man. And just consider, see, consider all those things at a macro level. Consider, big picture, how Spence is adjusting and then the outcome that's clear. There's no controversies. There's no sketchy nothing. There's no questions about the outcomes. He doesn't, he doesn't leave a question mark after he beats a person, does Spence. He just beats them and gets them done. Crawford gets them done, but there's some controversy in every single 147 and most of his 140s. So then if you ignore the controversies, that's up to you. I'm, I'm saying I think a lot of people are not giving Errol Spence's due credit for just how adaptive a fighter he is. And the last point I'll make, I want to remind you, Errol Spence is that dude, Floyd Mayweather, gave Floyd Mayweather the business in sparring, and Floyd Mayweather openly said he would not fight Errol Spence. I want you to think about that long and hard before you decide who's going to win the fight, because I don't think it's as much of a clear Crawford whatever as some others might think. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Combat Talk Radio, Masterpiece Boxing, found at combattalkradio.net. I want to thank you for listening today, whether you are a subscriber or not. I know you have choices, and I appreciate you for being here. Just to remind those that are new to the show, Combat Talk Radio records every Friday, so once a week in the Pacific time zone. And then Lifeblood of Boxing series, which is our coverage of the boxers I think are worth your time and give to the sport. That's once per month. It does not have a fixed schedule, but once a month I'll have a release until I run out of ones that I think are worth covering. 
for Lifeblood of Boxing. So those are our two programs. It is podcast only at this point. We want to hear from you. So combattalkradio.net at the bottom. Hit comments, feedback. Let us know how we're doing. If there's anything that you'd like to see us adjust or improve, we want to hear from you, and we are open to that feedback. We also are open to starting up the YouTube again, but it seemed like that died off when Lomachenko took a loss, and we don't know why. So if somebody knows why or they'd like to hear the YouTube coverage, let us know that as well in the comments, and we are open to doing it. We just need to make sure the fans are there. Right now they're on the podcast, not on the YouTube for whatever reason specific. We're open either way. Anyhow, that'll do it, and I will see you guys next week.